You may not realize it, but you have a lot of power. Every day you make choices to treat people with either kindness or contempt. God created us for relationships, but we're not naturally good at it because we are selfish. Relationships are where we learn to act like Jesus. Every time we serve someone else, we're making a powerful choice, one that will heal and not hurt. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, verse 1, with part one of his message entitled, The Issue of Power. Jesus said, amazing that as long as humanity has been on the earth, there has always been a question, a struggle, an issue as it relates to power, the power of an individual, the way individuals exercise power over people, over society. I watched a a video online of a group of Seahawks fans, and Seahawks are known, fans are lo- known to be the loudest fans in the world. They had a charity that wanted to um, get new uh, funding for their Seattle youth football fields. And so they made a group of fans watch the game without saying a word. And if they got to the end of the game without saying a word, they were going to win like $10,000 for charity. You should YouTube it. It's a classic video because these guys are sitting there and at each, at each moment of the game, it's, they're like, ah, you know, and it's like, but totally silent. They're not allowed to speak. And sure enough, they make it all the way until that very last play when Richard Sherman bats it away. They start screaming. Like they made it to the last like five seconds. I mean, it was, it's, it's just like, it was almost hard to watch, but it was beautiful. And it was great because the guy came in and said, well, you know, you had to be silent for the whole game and you guys screamed at the end. And sure enough, the charity, instead of giving them 10000 they gave them 50000 you know, which was really super cool. But it was just like that moment when Richard Sherman tapped that ball away, that set off a chain of events. Sure enough, Richard Sherman, they interview him right after the game and, and he um, blows up about how he's the best corner in the league and all this stuff, which set off another chain of events about what is the proper way that a person is supposed to carry themselves. And it reveals all sorts of things about our culture. And what's interesting about it is that leaving all the, the moral discussions aside, Richard Sherman did go on to uh, Sports Illustrated and said, you know, what I did learn from this is that I should never have to belittle another player to make myself bigger. Ah, see, that's a question of power. That's what that is. And I was out of his own mouth. He's like, I learned I do not have to diminish a receiver to make myself look better. And one of the things I think people struggle with his response was, is that even though he was hyped up, I mean, this 
huge play. It was like there was something that just didn't sit well with America to say, I just defeated you and now I'm going to rub your face in it. That's a question of power. Now, juxtapose that with another Seattle Seahawks player, fullback Derek Coleman, who I'm sure you guys are probably one of the 15 million people who viewed the Duracell commercial that has him featured in it. Derek Coleman is the first hearing impaired NFL football player. He was undrafted into the NFL. And the Duracell commercial speaks about everybody told him he couldn't do it except he's deaf so he couldn't hear them. And he wouldn't let anyone stop him. And now he plays for the Seahawks, the loudest fans in the world, and he can hear every one of them. And the byline is something about the power that is within you. So here's the thing. Humanity, God has created us with inherent power. But how that power plays in your own heart, in the hearts of your relationships, in the hearts of a society is something that is very close to the heart of God. Because Jesus, the most powerful person in history, God in the flesh, handled the most power in the universe in a very specific way. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes, remember, as we've been studying it, we're seeing that the preacher, the writer of Ecclesiastes, is looking at how everything looks under the sun. What do people do under the sun? What's there? How does it work? And if you remember, if you've been tracking through, in chapter one, we saw that everything's frustrating. History's frustrating. Everything is. It's like everything leaves you hanging. And then you get to chapter two, and you find out all the pleasure in the world, all the pleasure money can buy is vanity. No matter whether it's frivolous pleasure or sophisticated pleasure, If that's all you live for, pleasure, you end up feeling bankrupt. And many of us understand these things because we've done it. We've tried. I just want to laugh all day. Find the silliest thing and enjoy it. But after a while, it's like, what's the next silly thing? It's never satisfying. Whether you go for more sophisticated pursuits, it still leaves you hanging. And then last week, we saw this kind of like beautiful water in the middle of a desert where you find out that we should expect beauty in this world. We should expect mystery in this world. And we should expect eternity in this world because God's in control. But this week, the, the preacher returns to something that people lean into. And that thing that's leaned into is, of course, power. All of us have heard the famous quotation by Lord Acton, which says that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts what? Absolutely. That's kind of like a mantra of post-Nietzschean European thinking. Because Nietzsche was very big on popularizing the fact that all power is bad. All power is bad. But we all know that that's not true. All power isn't bad. We're just so used to seeing absolute power corrupting absolutely that we just buy into that. Now, I want to share a quotation with you from Aung San Suu Kyi. Now, if you don't know who she is, she was, she's been under house arrest for about the last 20 years until very recently in uh, Burma, present-day Myanmar. And she was helping to make Myanmar a democratic society, and they put her under house arrest. Now, listen to what she says, because she gets the proper nuance about power, and we need this for the, what we're going to see today. She says, it is not power that corrupts, but fear. Fear of losing power corrupts those who wield it, 
And fear of the scourge of power corrupts those who are subject to it. Now, see, Lord acting it, we like that quote. But it's not quite true, and we all know it. Because power in and of itself is not bad. But what's the problem with power? The problem with power is that when someone has fear, now power is used to either oppress or hurt people. See, the problem is not the power, because Jesus had perfect power and perfect love, which makes him the king of kings and the Lord of lords. When there is a benevolent leader, it's a beautiful thing for a people. So power is not the problem. Fear is the problem. And each one of us know what fear is like because we battle with it every day, don't we? All of us do. It's a universal human condition. We fear all sorts of things and in a lot of ways for very justifiable reasons. And what we're going to find today in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4 is that the writer of Ecclesiastes is going to drive us to look at power and to look at it from a very specific angle. So open there, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes 4, I want you to read along with me because if, if you're always here with us at Crossroads, we go through the scriptures. I'm not up here just trying to give you my opinion on some things because that wouldn't leave us in a good spot at all. Because if you could get me next year, I'll have a different opinion on probably the same thing. But God's word, universally, it's right, it's perfect. It tells us what we need. So Ecclesiastes 4, if you're struggling to find the book of Ecclesiastes, it's right about, about the first third of your Bible. There's the book of Psalms, single largest book in your Bible, 150 Psalms. Proverbs is the next book, 31 chapters. And then Ecclesiastes, 12 elegant and beautiful chapters for us. We're in chapter 4, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. You know, preachers forever have been using the three-point sermon because, you know, you can remember three points. I gave you the four-point sermon because you guys are better than a three-point sermon. (laughs) Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 1. Then I returned and considered all the oppression that is done under the sun. And I look, and look, the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. On the side of the oppressors, there is power, but they have no comforter. Therefore, I praise the dead who were already dead more than the living who were still alive. Yet better than both is he who had never existed. Who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun? Now, that's pretty depressing for a Sunday morning, right? It's like, but you see, he steps away from focusing on that. He's like, I'm going to go back and look at what's going on under the sun, under the heavens. What's going on in the human condition? And I'm seeing all of the oppression. All of the oppression, he says. And notice this. He says, look, the tears of the oppressed... They have no comforter. On the side of the oppressors, there is power, but they have no comforter. See, he's looking at the world, and he's looking at the world, and he's seeing there are, there's a whole lot of oppression, and the people who have power are not helping. Now, how many of you feel that way from time to time? Whether it's on your job, you're looking at the media, you're looking at the world, you're like, you know, where's the people who have the power, and why aren't they helping? And listen, you know, there's a, there's a bumper sticker that if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. That's what he's saying here. He's saying when you look at what goes on 
in the midst of humanity, with all that is involved in humanity, you see oppression, you see people with power, the people who are oppressed, who are the most in pain, don't have anyone to comfort them. And what this teaches you and I is that we need to be powerful like Jesus. We need to be powerful like Jesus. Brothers and sisters, you are powerful. Do you realize that? And not in some sort of like rah rah self help way. Like God creating you in the image and likeness of Him created you with inherent power. On top of that, we live in the single most wealthy and materialistic society on the globe. The most impoverished person in this room lives sumptuously by the world standards. And those of you who have traveled know that to be the case. You have tremendous power and opportunity right in front of you. The fact that you can go home and get on the internet and there's a world of information. You can go to a supermarket and there's wall-to-wall food in there. The amount of power that is possessed in this room is infathomable. You have power in your jobs. You might not be the boss, but you have things you can do. I have Marshawn Lynch, the Seahawks running back. He doesn't want to give an interview, and they're making him. And so he's, if, if you've been tracking that, I've been watching it. It's been hysterical. He gives like these little one-liners. Say, they make me do this. I don't really want to do this. So they have power. They're making him have an interview, and he has power saying, I'm not going to say anything. It's a power play. You realize that you have power, and you wield that power every single day. Some of you wield that power by loving. Some of you wield it by withholding love. Some of you wield your power by serving the Lord, and some of you wield that power by refusing to follow Jesus. Some of you wield that power by being kind, and some of you by being unkind. God has given us responsibility over this moment. How will we live? What will we do? That's tremendous power. And we need to be powerful like Jesus. Because Jesus, as I said already, is the ultimate example of someone who had power and used power properly. He said, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. Jesus said, I am going to take the power of this life and I am going to use it to serve humanity. To glorify God and bless the world. We need to be powerful like Jesus. Because you know what you find with the people who use their power to consume everything around them? There is misery. That's what we find. Every single time we see a person in power, whether it's a ruler of a nation who has complete autocratic control or just the average American who figures out how to consume all of their resources on themselves, for themselves. And you always find the same thing. Somebody who is unsatisfied, unhappy, and looking for the next big thing. And let's be honest, that is us. That's me. I, I can say it's us because I, I'm experiencing this with you. I'm experiencing what does it look like to live a life that my whole culture tells me I have to take care of myself. I have to do what I need. It's about me. And if you don't take care of you, who's going to take care of you? If you don't look out for number one, listen, we ain't number one. God is number one. Every time we say that we're number one, we are living out idolatry. And the greatest exercise of power is to choose to serve somebody else. 
See, it's not saying that you give up your power. You just invest your power like Jesus did. And that is, when you look at these verses, we're seeing when somebody chooses to use their God-given power in a way that is selfish, people get hurt. He's looking at what's going on under the sun. He's seeing the oppression of people. And he's saying, that is miserable. Not only for them, that's miserable for us. Because he gets to a point where he says, look, I praise the dead. Why? Because I don't have to deal with this. Even that, better yet, I praise those who aren't even born yet. He's saying, it is better off to have not lived than have to live and see the oppression of people. This reminds us of Jesus in Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 to 9. He talks about how we should be like little children. And then he goes on to say, for those who put a stumbling block in in front of someone, it'd be better if they'd never been born. Because for certain people, they use their power that God has entrusted to them by nature of their humanity, and they've used it to cause people to fall down, to stumble, to be hurt. Jesus said, it's better that they'd never been born. It's better that way. So I ask you today, how are you using the power that God has entrusted to you? Are you buying a style of life that it's all about you? And and if that's you, and, and I believe that's all of us in some way, you will see a wake of hurt people behind you. You'll see a wake of wrongs that have been perpetrated, opportunities for us to right wrongs, that we've chosen not to, not to engage ourselves there. Now I'm here to tell you, and that's, if that's you, you just need to simply respond to Jesus. You need to turn to God and say, God, I'm sorry. I have not used the power that you've given me like Jesus would. I have not chosen to take my power and invest it in other people, to help other people, to look out for other people, to take this power and say, God, I want to be a vehicle and a force for good in the world, not just perpetrating a selfish agenda that leaves everybody hurting. This speaks to us about personal responsibility. Now, I want to, I've been reading about this recently, and I I read a sociological study. There was a case in, I think it was in the 70s, where there was a woman in New York who was repeatedly attacked over some 30 minutes on a street. Repeatedly attacked. 38 people in in the adjacent homes all heard it. Nobody intervened. Nobody did. And reading some of the research about this attack, they they made the case that one sociologist said the reason they did it is because it was self-preservation. They just couldn't engage. I mean, literally, this woman was being attacked on their street for 30 minutes, three different times. But then they started thinking, is it really just self-preservation? Is there more there? And then what happened was they started doing research. And what they found, and this is fascinating, they found that they, they set up these scenarios where one person thinks they're the only person there and they hear somebody in distress. Eight out of ten times, when someone thinks they're the only person there, they will engage in trying to help that person. If they think that there's other people there, they're not the only one, only three out of ten times will someone engage. And what it says is that if a person believes it is their personal responsibility and if they don't do it, no one else will, they will rise up. But if people believe that everybody else will take care of it, what do they do? Most times they do nothing. Now, how many of us have made decisions about our lives in Christ, abdicating our personal responsibility, expecting someone else to do it. 
How often do you hear at church, man, we need help in the kids' ministry. You think, yeah, I'd probably do that, but someone else will step up and do it. Ah, you see, how often when we talk about tithing, you look around, you're like, look, there's thousands of people here. The church doesn't want me to invest because everyone else will take care of it. Man, we just did our year-end numbers. I'll be honest, between the number of people who are here, the number of people who are engaged in service or giving, the numbers are pretty sad, actually. And the reason I bring this up is because God has invested you with personal responsibility for the world around you. You cannot abnegate the personal responsibility thinking someone else will do it. That is not the life of Christ that God has given us. God is saying, look, you are my chosen one. You are my priest. You are my child, and I want you to engage. And brothers and sisters, we want all of the people of God to be fully engaged in every area of their passion. We can't pretend that someone else is going to do it. Because the life that God has given us in Christ is about each one of us rising up and being a vibrant part of his body. Not, well, listen, I don't, you know, can you imagine if the lungs were like, look, we got a bladder, they'll take care of the breathing part. Can you imagine that? If the bowels and the intestines say, listen, we got a mouth, there's a way in and out. I'm gonna just, I mean, they got it, it's okay. That's how many of us live our lives in Christ. So what we're doing is we have the power, we're just choosing to be apathetic to a world. We all thank God that Jesus is not apathetic about our lives. And brothers and sisters, we live in a day and age where if the people of God do not engage, nobody else will. We need to engage. We need to say, my exercise of my power is to be the servant of all, to serve God and to bless humanity. I want to engage in making the world a better place. I want to engage in seeing my family of faith be the most strategic and effective to disciple and reach people with the gospel. My money is best spent by investing in eternity. It's funny, Elizabeth and our staff, she's a witty woman. She said, you know this YOLO series, You Only Live Once? She's like, maybe we need to change that not to YOLO, but to Why Lie? Not you only live once, although it's true. Y-L-I-E. Your life impacts eternity. That's what Ecclesiastes 4 is about. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes, that's what the Bible is about. Not you only live once, but your life impacts eternity. Why lie? Why lie? And pretend like it doesn't. It does. We need to be powerful like Jesus. Now, notice what happens in verse 4. It says, again, I saw that for all toil and every skillful work, a man is envied by his neighbor. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. Better a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil and grasping for the wind. As we heard in Pastor Daniel's teaching today, we all have power. How we choose to wield that power speaks volumes about where our hearts are. It's so easy to put ourselves first 
So the greatest exercise of power is to serve someone else. A life of self-centeredness leaves a wake of hurt people. But as much as you can hurt people with the power of your selfishness, the power of selflessness is even greater. For most of us, our smartphone is an extension of our body. They are constantly ringing and dinging, telling us what to do and where to go next. We want to encourage you to subscribe to the Jesus is Real podcast. Each week, the programs right here on the radio are available in podcast format. So if you miss one of the broadcasts, you can always catch up by subscribing to the Jesus is Real podcast. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, we'll see how God uses community to make us more like Jesus. We are created for relationship, but our selfish tendencies tend to erode them. You'll see why community is essential and how rewarding it's meant to be. That's all coming up the next time you join us in the book of Ecclesiastes. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series entitled You Only Live Once next time on Jesus is Real Radio.